read verse 19 together, Matthew 16, 19, reading. And I will give you, uh, Matthew 16, 19, reading, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth <coughs> shall be loosed in heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us turn to him in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us in thy house. Lord, we know it is by thy mercies that we are kept moment by moment. We thank you for the many testimonies of being kept by you. Lord, we know that thou art always looking after thy children, that we may serve you and use our lives for you. As we continue to study this topic on the church and censure, Lord, we pray that you open our eyes of understanding, build strong conviction, build um, a love for thy church and love for the model that thou hast set up. Father, we also pray that you would um, remove all distraction and tiredness and cleanse us and wash us of all our sins, that our gathering, Lord, will be pleasing with you and you will be in our presence to bless with understanding and increase our love for thy church, which our Saviour shed his blood for. Be with the Chinese group, be with the facilitators, Lord, be with everyone that's studying your word in the house tonight to bless richly, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so let's continue on this chapter. Now, please remember, there are four points to this chapter, if you have your notes on chapter 30. I emphasized before the first two points, before the Westminster cover church censures, he covered church government first, right? He covered church government first, because censure is executed by the church government. So until a Christian understands, accepts church government as God intended it, then we will, if we don't accept that, we won't accept church discipline. We'll reject it. So it is important that they cover that and we understand thoroughly. And I said before also that very few understand this whole concept about church government and very few actually bother about it today. Church is to please me. Church is not here to tell me what to do. Right, so that is one of the reasons why we have to bring back this understanding. And as we've seen in the previous week, God's model of the church government is very clear in scriptures. And he set church officers, namely the teaching elder, the, which is the pastor, and the ruling elders together as a board, as a council in the church to watch over the church and execute discipline if necessary. Right, so church discipline is crucial to understand, but first we must understand church government before that. Now, before I enter today's lesson, there were a few questions that came up um, after the last session and um, over lunch, so I thought I'll answer them. So since some, some had the question, they asked about um, the pastor. Um, <laughs> What happens when he retires? I briefly mentioned something about that. Well, all are under the church constitution. Um, 
in terms of our obedience is to the word of God and then to the church constitution. Now, does a pastor ever retire? What do you think? By and large, it is always understood the pastor does not retire. There's no retirement. So this is a job where there is no retirement. Um, if you notice, um, Dr. To, Reverend To, um, they remain um, the church pastor, albeit the senior pastor, um, till the day they died. When they died, they were still the church pastor. They were on the board, as far as I understand. And they, in the eulogy, they still call him pastor. So in reality, there is no retirement for the pastor. Well, maybe someday he can't preach because he can't stand or due to um, very significant health reasons. Does he still remain on the board? That's the question. Uh, by and large, as long as the person is of sound mind, well, of course, people say what sound mind again, um, he remains on the board by and large um, as, as part of the board. So those are the general principles. Of course, we have to look at things case to case, um, what the situation, but by and large, um, that is the common practice. That is the common practice. As we've seen, um, we, at least we get to see in our lifetime the experience of some of these um, men who, uh, like Dr. To, Reverend To, remain so. All right, so when we were in Bible college, we always reminded this, there's no retirement. You entered a calling that has no retirement. So we just have to condition ourselves that is work till we see our Lord. Rest when we meet our Lord. All right, in a sense, um, so I hope I clarified some of that. Now, the other one is about the keys, so which, which is what um, we come to, right? So, which, is, which are the keys. Now, question number 10 as we continue. Now, let's read number two first, all right? Let's read number two. Let's read number two. To these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed by virtue whereof they have power respectively to retain and remit sins, to shut that kingdom against the impenitent, both by the word and censures, and to open it unto penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel and by absolution from censures, as occasion shall require. Now, what does this mean? Now, there's this relationship between the keys and the church government and who enters into the kingdom of heaven. Be part of the kingdom of heaven and under this government and will be subject to censures. All right? Now, what is this? what are these keys about? I ask question number 10. Can the church leaders, the church officers, refuse admission or decide who enters God's kingdom? Now, this is always a passage that people struggle with because we read earlier on, God says that, God tells us um, in Matthew that we read, there is this power that is upon the church officers. I will give you I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou, specifically you, shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. 
Whatever you lose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. Now, I'll read to you, and you're familiar also, in John um, chapter 20, verse 22. And when he had thus said, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In verse 23, Whoso, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So there is the keys given to the apostles to retain and to remit sins. Remit means declare as, as wiped out, forgiven. Now what is this about? Can people be shut out of the kingdom of heaven by church leaders? What it is about is the church leaders declare the gospel. That's why you look at point number two. All right? They have the power to retain, remit sins, to shut the kingdom, to impenetrate. How? By word and censures. By word and censures. The keys are simply the gospel keys. All right? They are the gospel keys. Who can enter the kingdom of heaven? Who cannot enter the kingdom of heaven? Declared by the gospel keys. So, the church declares, or rather I put it this way, the church is the visible witness of God's kingdom on earth. Being part of the church as a member is a declaration that the church believes you are a safe person. Understand? So the church say, yes, you can join membership. The church leaders interview you and all and say, yes, we believe you are safe. You join membership. You become part of the visible witness, God's people. That is, you become part of God's kingdom. So that is what it means. And how do the church leaders define who is saved and who is not? Not by their own decisions. They use scriptures. They use scriptures to test the person. Is the person's understanding of the gospel that saves salvation aspects? Is it correct? Has he displayed um, um, opposite fruits? You may declare all this, but the fruits are opposite. Is he is he saved? So, in that sense, yes, the church leaders. In question number ten, the church leader can refuse admission when they say no. You can't join church membership. Now, of course, someone can be refused admission to church membership because they declare they don't believe the same beliefs as the church, but they may believe the gospel correctly. All right? So we're talking about that aspect, that they don't believe in the gospel of, uh, correctly and they don't accept the gospel as the word, as, as declared in the word, then they are censured. They're told, then you are not a believer. Right? So in that sense, they can refuse admission. They can decide who enters God's kingdom in that sense because they decide who enters into church membership, which is the visible witness of God. So that is what um, this passage means. Can they decide simply based on, I don't like your face, I don't like your, your um, I don't like you as a person personally? No, they can't. So they can't in that sense. So I hope you understand. So question number 11. What does these powers mean? What does these powers mean? These powers mean, these powers refer to the word, refer to the ministry of the gospel, point number two. They refer to the word and the ministry of the gospel. 
So whether there is absolution from censures or not depends on the word. So these powers are simply declaration, declarative powers. You know what's declarative powers? means the church leaders themselves do not have this power to forbid people to go in, but they declare. This power are given unto them. They declare what the word of God, what the gospel says. So this is what it means, the gospel keys, uh, the keys. The keys, especially in referring to the kingdom of God, entering into the kingdom of God is the gospel, the gospel keys. Okay? Now, um, Actually, I want to refer you to our church constitution, which I thought I opened. Five point seven. This is this is where we derive all this in our constitution. You can see 5.7. All church power, the power that are vested in its church officers, whether exercised by the body in general or by way of representation by delegated authority, is only ministerial and declarative. In other words, this wielding of the key the, um, and declaring that we have power to retain um, sin or to forgive sin is ministerial and declarative. Means we minister the word of God. We declare the word of God. That's all. That is to say the Holy Scriptures are the only rule of faith and conduct. Whether you have saving faith or not, declared by the word of God. So it's declarative. We minister the word to you. We declare. If you are for it or against it, well, clearly, if you're against it, then you do not have saving faith. No church or court ought to pretend that laws to bind the conscience in virtue of its own in virtue of its own authority. So the church do not have our own authority. It's all authority are all de derived from holy scriptures. Um, its decision, all its decisions should be founded upon the revealed will of God. Not not some um, ideas made up by men, but God makes the gospel, the revelation of the gospel. Who can go into the kingdom of God very clearly? Now, though it be easily admitted that all sinners and counsels may err, yeah, there's some errors which we'll cover later on, uh, but to the present state, it is lodged with fallible men. What does it mean? And present state is lodged with fallible men. God appointed elders in the church, as we've seen. God appointed the pastors, as we've seen. So we can't say, but aren't pastors and elders sinners as well? Won't they make mistakes as well? Yes, they do. But we must understand that as far as God is concerned, He is not ruling from heaven directly. He declared, He, he appoints men to rule, government. All right, just like in the secular government, the secular world, there's government. He appointed. In the church, he appointed. Yes, on fallible men, correct. But these fallible men must use, and if they do not use the revealed word of God, then yes, you can say then we, we can't accept what he expects us to do. But as long as the fallible man uses the revealed word of God to judge and to declare, then you must still obey because you're not obeying fallible men. You're obeying the declarative power. Understand? 
Right? So there's a difference. So understand that. Now, why must we understand this? Because there are people, even recently, someone kept challenging, is pastor perfect? Why must we all listen to pastor? And to keep telling people that. Pastor is not perfect. Why are you listening to him? As long as the teaching is clearly from the revealed word of God, you have to obey. So if pastor says that, um, I mean, this is the issue. I, I'm writing this soon on a pastoral, some of you know. If pastor says, woman can teach woman in church, woman cannot teach men in church. Why should we obey pastor on that? We should have our own mind. Well, you can have your own mind, but your mind must be the same as the Word of God. So if the Word of God says there are women in church teaching women, the Bible says women do not teach men, it's usurping of authority, then you're not obey you is taught by a fallible man, but he teaches from the Word of God. Alright, so so that is why there is a need, yes, to declare it is lodged with fallible men. We know. If not, there or rather put it this way, God intended that at this present state, this is the case. Now, then the next one. Alright, um, question number 11. Okay, so understand this thing about the, the keys, admitting and not admitting, is simply declarative ministerial of the Word of God and His revealed will. That is what it is. So no pastor... No church leader should pretend that he can decide who goes to heaven or who doesn't or who should be censured or who should not. It is based on the Word of God. Now, next um, question number 11. All right. By the way, can you, do you have this power? Do you have this power? When you go out and share the gospel, you are also making a declaration, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You just declared the key. You just declared how you can enter into the kingdom of heaven. He that believeth not is condemned already. You just condemn someone, right? So in that sense, you are also declaring this power. But of course, when it comes to church government, the church leaders, um, admitting people into the church, that is different. That's at another level. Just because you evangelize and someone says, yes, I believe, or don't, uh, I believe, you don't bring the person to church. All right, pastor, I declare this person a member. You can't, right? There are government that God set over the church to have these declarative powers that are different, okay? So just understand that. But in a sense, you are, you are. You, it is not just for the Pope, which the Roman Catholics declare, right? You, you have that. In that sense, declarative power um, to tell people who can be in heaven and who cannot be in heaven. Now, next one, question number 11. What do this, um, sorry, question number 11. Actually, stay at 11. Now, do you understand that at church membership, um, when people join our church membership, you notice that I make it quite clear. Will the members, members of BPCWA please rise to welcome these new members, correct? I do not ask the whole church. 
Do you understand why? Why do you think so, Ben? Can't. Why do you think so? Yes. If you are a member of the church, well, the assumption is you have gone through all the proper um, teachings, interviews, and the church government have, have assessed and say, yes, as far as we know, you are a believer. You can join church, right? Join the church as a covenantal family. And once you join, then we are basically saying, yes, you are part of the kingdom of God. But people who are not member, we do not know. Maybe you're safe, maybe you're not. Well, I know you think, are all church members safe? We'll we, we talk about that afterwards. So, it is only the members that will stand. Because we're declaring that, yes, we, as a church, trusting the church leadership to say that you are part of the kingdom of God. And then we welcome you um, as part of the covenantal family. All right? So, there are... Um, there are reasons why we do these things. Because, can you imagine if this person is not saved? Now, I'm not saying that every member is saved. Huh? We talk about that afterwards. Can you imagine a person who is not saved, like a visitor who's coming for some time, doesn't believe yet, and they say, all rise. Then the person rise. Rise to welcome you into the kingdom of God. When a person is outside the kingdom of God. Right? So it doesn't make sense. So sometimes I remember there was once someone said, "No, you know you're you're very um, you're very picky and you're you're very insulting to people, you know." So at the time when I insisted that we should do it this way, so someone in church said, "It's very insulting. Just ask everyone to stand. They've been here for so long worshiping with us, you know. You mean Uncle So and So? Yeah, they're not members, but you mean they are they they are not safe." So I say it's not so simple. Are we going to declare uncle so-and-so you can stand, but, but young person so-and-so you cannot stand? Where's the line? But you have to understand why we are doing it. Once you understand, then you say, yes, it's the right thing to do. Only those that are in the kingdom of God that the church declared and from the best of our knowledge know you are part of the kingdom of God, you stand to welcome those into the kingdom of God. Hmm? So it only makes sense. So when we don't understand these things, we fight. Now you know why I take time to teach these things. Because when people don't understand the theological reason behind, they may all, over the years just keep feeling, oh, this church is very, very unwelcoming and very insulting to visitors. Why don't we let them stand as well? It's a nice thing to do to stand to welcome people, right? But this is far bigger than that. It's a spiritual admission into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so it's serious. Now, question number 13. Question 13. So understand church is very important. 13. What must church officers do to ensure they exercise their duties in admitting people into the kingdom of God, into God's kingdom? Is it foolproof? Is it foolproof? Why do they do it? That, why then we do it now? So firstly, the question is this. If the officers of the church are given the keys, the powers, to admit people into church membership, meaning to declare them part of the kingdom of God, how should they ensure it's exercised correctly? How? What we do is we make sure, number one, actually if you want, please turn. Please turn to... Um, passage should I use? 
Okay, please turn to Matthew 28. Well, we all know this very well. Let's use Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Now, this is declarative power, all right? 28, 18 to 20, shall we read together? And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Church government, right? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, what is Christ saying? He said, all power is given unto me. Well, before that, he already told them, now, you, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Why can he give that? Because all power belongs to him. This has to do with the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, what is the declarative power? Verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Now, baptizing them means you're actually admitting them into the kingdom of God, correct? Baptism, you're declaring them as believers. So he said, now, these are declarative power. What is before baptizing them and declaring that they are admitted, considered part of God's people? What is it? Before that is go ye therefore and teach. In verse 19, teach all nations. Teaching first, not baptize first. Teaching first. So how should the church officers ensure they use these this powers rightly, exercise it rightly? Number one, teach. Teach. That is why we put you through BBK. Thoroughly teach. In BBK, the doctrines are very carefully and clearly taught. Salvation doctrines. After salvation, what is expected? Are you willing to bear the cross? Now, all those things. And teach you about certain key doctrines, about Christ, about the church, about the kingdom of God, about sin. All these doctrines are taught. If at any time someone's half, someone halfway through the BBK say, well, I don't accept this teaching. I believe that all men, not everyone is a sinner. I don't believe that Jesus Christ um, substituted my place for salvation. And any one point of time in the teaching, they decide not to, then you won't baptize them. So the first thing, teach. Teach is very important. Next one, then, then it leads to baptism. Now, before the baptism, there is interview. I mentioned many times. There is interview. So in our case, the board, Reverend Paul and myself, we will schedule the interviews. If you say you want to be part of member, means you say, I want to be part of the kingdom of God. Whether we, we declare yes or no for the church, on the church behalf, based on God's word, we interview you. I remember one year where we had many people joining at the same time. I think I was on the phone. Reverend Paul will be on the phone. We don't want to fly him down. I think it was close to six hours, half a day. Just one after another. One after another. Very long interviews. Um, grilling and grilling. Because we understand we are the church officers that admit people into the church, the covenantal people into the church. We have to be very clear. Very, very clear. Later I'll ask you why you think so. Um, so just very careful admission process. Do you think that is important? It's very important because it is now the duty of the church officers to make sure that these are truly believers. Now, what happens, or ask it this way, 
Well, anyway, BBK has to be full attendance. Remember that, full attendance. Um, you miss any lesson, either you wait till the next cycle, which is why we made more than one time, once a year baptism and membership transfer now is twice a year. Used to be once a year, all right, to allow people who miss cycles. Um, so to put them through that. And we also now, we have Chinese BBK, English BBK. Um, we've also decided, um, the board, me and Reverend Paul, we make it, made it clear and also communicate to the session. If you intend to join the English congregation, then you must attend English BBK. If you intend to join the Chinese, you must attend the Chinese. If you're more Chinese speaking, you better attend the Chinese and join the Chinese. Why? Why do you think so? Nancy, why do you think so? Because we are racist. <laughs> why? If you understand that language better is better for you to join, well, just better, but the person say, well, but I like, I like, I like Chinese. So I want to just go there for the BBK. Then I finish every lesson. What happens? He may not fully understand, right? If you don't fully understand or she don't fully understand, at the end of the day, do we know whether the person understands? The church beliefs, the church doctrines, you're going to take a vow. We don't know how to declare. We can't declare, right? So because of that, um, we have to make sure, the point is we have to make sure you really understand in that language. Because after that, we are bearing the responsibility to declare that you're a believer or not a believer a baptism for example right so that is the reason not for any other reasons at all um, now next part about this what happens um, if we are not careful what are the consequences what do you think, Sujin? Okay, different persuasion and then cause problems. Well, that is one obvious reason. Once a person becomes a member, now why do church officers have to be very, very careful? Actually, that's not what I want to talk about first. Something else. That is the second reason, which is an important reason. Why, why else? Um, Alex, why? We have to make sure that they're saved. Uh, that is the same as what Sujin said. They don't have the same conviction, but it's very important. Respect to salvation, specifically, Jason. about service, well, specifically salvation. Why do you think? Edda, why? Why must we be so sure that they are saved? Do our best to our ability. Teach them one whole year of BBK, teach them the doctrines very clearly, interview them like very carefully as well. Why are we so obsessed to make sure that as far as we know, they are saved before we accept them, baptize them? Not sure. Benedict. Because of the keys. <laughs> we cannot use the key any old how. Why does God 
want us to make sure we exercise the keys very carefully. Now remember, if the moment they're baptized, what happens next? Hannah. Say again. Well, we declare that they're Christians. You can give them the wrong idea. Maybe they're, they're, they're not. And then you declare they're Christian. That's one problem, yes. But remember, after you're saved, that Sunday will happen. You can take Holy Communion. You can take Holy Communion. What is the warning about Holy Communion? The warning about Holy Communion is we do not partake of it unworthily. Unsaved person must not partake of it. The church is the one that gives dish out the Holy Communion. Understand that. The pastor is the one who says who can take, who can't take. So if the pastor, the board, the elders do not make very sure that this person is saved, we are responsible thereafter to dish out and let them partake of it unworthily. Who is having great, um, great um, responsibility and failure? The church leaders. That is why we are very careful, very, very, very careful. After that, they can partake. So, yeah, of course, the other reason is you can't just say, all right, you finish BBK, just your believer. We can't do that. We grill them. Where they, where they are wrong, we correct them. That is called censure. We correct them straight away. And if they accept, good. Then they become a believer, hopefully. So there is censure involved. But the question is, is it foolproof? What do you think? Mabel, do you think it's foolproof? That put them through very intense BBK, every lesson, interview them, ask the question, and they give all the right answers. Their outward life seems, seems, seems to have fruit as well. Is it foolproof that they are saved? Their elders have done what we can. It is not foolproof. It is not foolproof. There are people who, who go through all this, become Sunday school teacher, come to a point, they declare, I don't believe that Jesus is God. They were never safe in the first place. But they went through everything. They said all the right things. They even lived very zealously for the Lord. But recently when we did progressive Christianity, there are many like that, senior pastors, right? So it's not foolproof. It's not foolproof. If it is not foolproof, why do it? Hmm? Like Mabel answered. We do our best, our due diligence, exercise it to the best of our ability and knowledge, and then we know our hands are clean. If the person secretly is not safe and don't want to declare, I just say yes to everything, and then want to partake of Holy Communion, then it's between him and God. God will deal with him. But the church have done its due diligence, right? So that's, that's why exercising these keys is very, are very important. Now, in exercising it, that is censuring. If a person at BBK doesn't accept, after that, explain don't accept, then there's censuring, there is admonition, there's rebuke, there's correcting, and the person still refuses. Then we say, no admission to the kingdom of God. In other words, we will not baptize you. All right? So, in that sense, the church censuring begins there. Now, yes, then the second reason that the church government have to exercise due diligence is what you pointed out. They have different convictions. They have different convictions. Um, members can vote. Remember that. Members can vote and they can influence votes in the church. 
Non-members cannot. Members can attend ACM. Non-members cannot. Why? Non-members uh, members can attend. ACM means they can cause a lot of problem during ACM. They can sway people's thinking in the church. They can, remember, members can call for extraordinary or extraordinary congregational meeting to fight. All right? So if it is a member, he can do all these things. He can sway people and then get people to insist, gather enough signatures and insist on kicking the leadership out. Do you know what happened in some churches? This is what happens. They just see a lot of certain nationalities, I won't name what, came, came, and I said, wow, so nice, this was so good, so good. You are so zealous, they sing, wow, they sing better than our members, so zealous at every Bible study. Admit this one, admit, 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 admit. Guess what? They gang up and start to vote against the church because you keep admitting the same flock of the feathers. Same, 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 peep, same thinking. And then slowly, slowly, they kick out the church leadership. Is it important that we are very, very careful? Very careful. The church officers are there to safeguard the church. How they admit is very crucial. All right? So I hope you understand because I remember having a very big fight in one of, in a church meeting. Someone wanted to join and I said, no, the, we just finished an interview with the person and the person said, I do not believe in this, I don't believe in that, that we teach. I don't believe in pre-mill, I don't believe um, in, in total abstinence, I don't believe. So many things that we taught so clearly at BBK, all right? The person finished BBK. And he said, well, I don't believe. And then at the end, I said, well, we, we, we can't. I was shocked. I was scolded. Oh, no, we, we will let him in. It's, this is such a nice person, you know. Then I said, how do we admit people? As a church, how do we admit people? It must be based on our constitution. It has to be. Because after that, the person is going to swear to the constitution. Word of God, yes, the person said, I don't believe in pre-meal, I don't believe in total abstinence. Um, well, we can't say that the person is not saved, but beliefs are contrary. Um, so the reason I was told that we must let this person in is he's a nice person. Second reason is if we don't, his family will leave the church. The third reason is be, you better be careful because this person is of the minority race. We will be accused of racism. So for these three reasons, they say we must admit this person. Why do church behave like that? Well, thankfully it did not happen, right? Thankfully we managed um, to resolve the situation and I just say, let me talk to this person. The person was sane enough to say, yeah, I can see your point. I withdraw my application. Now, when a person do not believe, they can cause problems. They can cause dissension. In fact, in a church, um, actually is, is uh, Melbourne, Bethel, these were the same situations. When we do not understand church government and the responsibility of the church government, 
someone joined and were allowed to join and he said he's been teaching something that is different from the church and when he joined he told the person told the people and for some reason long time ago this person was allowed to join by the way the person is not there anymore allowed to join and when the person joined the moment he became a member he started to teach things that are contrary to the church beliefs and then they they called him up to to exercise church discipline all right and the person said this when i joined i told you what i do not believe about your church teachings i told you you knew and you accepted me so when by accepting me you're accepting my beliefs you're accepting that i don't believe and you're fine with that means you're fine with me teaching people that as well if not why did you ex accept me it became a very big problem thankfully god delivered the church as well so do you understand one person can cause the church to go upside down all you need is the person to say i told you an interview i told you like our case in the view the person said i don't believe in this i don't believe in that i told you and if you accept means you accept me declaring this kind of view in your church because you accepted me so do you understand when we do these things it is not yes the person may be a nice person the person may be the person family may really leave but the church must protect its people that is the key once the church go into chaos the kingdom of god's work will be affected right so that's very important we understand why church does this thing so the church leaders um, execute um, exercising the keys of the kingdom of heaven is is crucial and appreciate when they do the right thing for the church okay so so that right question any questions so far no so still on church government because after that the church has to exercise discipline on the person it's linked that is why the westminster they link it the church government must know what they stand for the church people must know they say know them that have rule over you right know them that have rule over you you must know and you must submit because they are doing it for the good of the church and therefore if they don't then we will all fail we will all have a lot of problems okay so now next question 14 how do we admit and transfer memberships members of others into bpcwa why is it important how do we admit the same you see that is when we build the keys of the kingdom of heaven with respect to salvation we ascertain whether they're saved or they're not saved but there are situations where people join from other church all right some of you transfer church membership from other churches so in those cases how what do we do um, same thing should we put you through bbk what do you think um, valerie should we put them through bbk yes why but the person has been through bbk in their church you know you did that in your church previously right Mm -hmm. and 
Mm. Right. Right, so when you're from another church, when the person is from another church, we do not know what they believe. And their beliefs may be different. Then there's a problem after they join, right? So then we tell them exactly in BBK what we believe, what our practices. So it's clear. Now, because one day if, if the person practices contrary to the church beliefs, the church have to step into start discipline, right? Do you understand the link? If you don't tell people what, what this church stands for, then when they become member and then they didn't go through BBK, but they declared they're safe in another church, and then we don't put them through BBK, we don't tell them what we believe and what we practice, and then the person practice contrary to that, and then we discipline, and then the person says, I didn't know your church believes in that. That is a problem, right? That's why we put everyone through the same thing. Now, sometimes we, honestly, we do not know whether the person is saved, right? We still have to do our due diligence, correct? By teaching you, I'm doing my due diligence. Whether you are an 80-year-old man from another church and heard the gospel one million times, it's still my duty to make sure that you understand what we teach about salvation before I dish out Holy Communion to you. We have to do due, due diligence. I cannot just assume that you are saved. Now, is it humbling? Sometimes it's very humbling. The person says, wow, in that church, you know, I've been there so long. Are you doubting my salvation? It's very difficult. Um, we still need to put them through this. Right? So that's why we um, put people through, through that. Now, what about people who... Now, these are some difficult ones. Because over the years, I faced many of this in our church. What about people who have been in this church before and then left, join another church, and then come back? Should we put them through BBK? But they were from BPCWA, right? Sing Jin, what do you think? You understand the question? Good. But they were from BPCWA. They will understand the doctrines. Say again. Make sure that they agree. But they were from BPCWA. <laughs> well, one, yeah, maybe that's a good example. They might have left because they did not agree with the doctrine. And it's just that they think it is still one of the best places to be, they come back. Right? They come back. But in your heart, you're right, in their heart, still that those doctrines, I don't accept. Maybe election, uh, maybe those kind of things. Predestination, I don't accept. But I think I'll just come back. But were they in BPCWA? They were in BPCWA. So you see the difficulties that we face? But I always remember the keys. <laughs> you hold the keys. We are supposed to protect the church very important. So we still have to put them through BBK. It's not very nice. It's not very nice at all. Um, and furthermore, another reason is they've gone to another church. Well, number one, they could have started to learn other things from other churches, correct? Even if their convictions were the same. But because they went to another church for some time, their convictions can change. Can convictions change? Did your convictions change since you joined BPCWA? 
Your convictions change, right? So convictions can change. Then they will come back. We have to make sure we put them through this again and declare very clearly these are our convictions, right? So those are the three reasons why in exercising these keys, we have to be very careful. Now, actually, recently I, I had a meeting with the board because I began to realize another problem. People who were associate members, you know, associate members means they became members before they got their PR. Um, Alan, you were associate member before, right? So associate member before you became a PR. Once you get a PR, you can become a full member, correct? So, do we transfer Alan and just say, Alan, please stand up. You got your PR, please stand up. You are now a new member, a full member. Is that good enough? Or should we put him through BBK? <laughs> he just didn't get his PR. Wow, just because of PR, go through BBK. Should he go through BBK? Alan, what do you think? Because no one there to insult you, right? So you answer yourself. What do you think? Should you go through BBK? It'll be good. <laughs> Why would it be good? Good for who? Good for you. Why good for you? Maybe because during associate time, he wasn't seriously thinking about it. But if you weren't seriously thinking about how did you become a member? Yeah, good point. <laughs> because you have been grilled, right? Now the question is, did I grill him? Because I'm the pastor now, right? Did I grill him? Did I teach him? Someone came back from a long time ago and then came back recently. And then it was a very sensitive situation. I had to bring the person into a room just to make sure because I don't know this person. Right? You all may know him, but I don't know him. But it's my duty to make sure. So I say, well, you're very welcome to come back, but I understand that you know, you're from a Baptist church and your inclinations are Baptists. And when you were here for a long time, you did not take up church membership because you can't accept some of these things. I say, you're very welcome to come and worship with us. And I hope you come and learn and, and give me a chance to explain the, the faith to you, the Presbyterian faith to you. So you're very welcome. Um, now, before that, there was this question, session and ask, sit down. Should we talk to him? You know how difficult it is, right? Good old friend come. Should we do that? Should we do that? But one, one deacon was very wise. The deacon said, because one felt that, you know, the person has been so long, it doesn't cause any problems. Even last time when the person was here, it doesn't cause much problems. It respects the church beliefs. So um, it should be all right, you know, no need to talk to him and, and all that. Um, Now, actually, one of the reasons why I want to speak with the person, I know he was looking for a church. I needed him to understand that our church beliefs now are very clear. If you really cannot accept some of the things, since you're looking for a church, you may not want to feel after six months, I wish you told me earlier, I would have tried other churches instead of spending six months here. You understand? So I thought also fair to him, and one of the deacons, when we were trying to decide, one of the deacons was very wise. He said, you know, our church teachings in the past were not so explicit, were not so clear. But over the years, it has become very explicit and clear. When it's nebulous, people may say, ah, I'm okay, I'm okay. But once it becomes very clear, sometimes people can't take it. Do you understand? 
Sometimes when it's left nebulous, I'm, I'm, I'm alright, I know you're Presbyterian, I'm alright. It's nebulous. But once it's every other session, election. Um, and that kind of thing. After some time, the person can't take it, you know. Um, so we thought, then I thought that was very, very, very true. It's a very wise thinking. Now that it's clear. So for example, if Ellen did not go through BBK under me, then I would say that when we transfer, I would say that he should go through BBK because I don't know him, right? So I have those problems. Then we discuss, we say, well, the best for associate members, if they have not gone through BBK under the current pastor in the English side or Yujin in the Chinese side, then it won't be a direct transfer. We will put them through BBK because one of the key things about the church belief is biblical separation, right? And it's very clear in our constitution. Because a person may accept a lot of things, but many people don't accept biblical separation, which we cover in, in BBK very clearly. So how do we know? Like if, I, if, if Alan, I didn't know him, he didn't go through BBK under me, he may accept many things, but he may not accept biblical separation. Huh? Correct? And then we didn't put him through BBK, and then we don't interview him, we just transfer him immediately. What will happen? After he become a member, full member, he can vote. He can serve in many ministries. Do you think that's a problem? He may teach things to the young people that is contrary to the church beliefs, or he may disregard biblical separation. So many issues. Do you think it's pleasant? Very unpleasant. But is it necessary? Very necessary. You see, before we even reach church discipline, these things must be settled. Do you understand why? Uh, just in case you're getting sleepy, draw. Oh. Now, before we even talk about church censures, church censures especially is talking about members. Members. Before we even reach this stage, all these things better be settled. Who you let into the church to become a member? Because this member can be under church censure one day. You better settle all this up front rather than reach this stage and become very ugly. Right? Okay, so it's, it's not a pleasant thing, a difficult thing. Now, then, the more we understand, the more we support the church and not go around saying, what, Ellen... We've known him for so long, since he was a little boy when his hair was standing. His hair is still standing. You know, same, same old Ellen. Why must we... We must understand why the church do this. Right? And the member, the person going through that... Now, recently I have to do something like that. And I'm very thankful. Because over time of teaching, 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 when we cover books of, book of Acts and all that, members have become clear and understand church government. Before I even say anything, the person wrote an email to me and said, Pastor, I fully understand this. I fully support um, um, the, the, the direction. I will go through BBK completely before uh, I take up church member, before I request to be changed to full member, full membership, because I don't want also to cause problems because other people may expect it. Why, someone, why does someone become mature like that? because of constant teaching about church government and why church government is important is because of the safety of the church it is also good for you 
right? Okay, so studying all this is important. I hope you understand. It ensures the long-term peace of the church. People don't fight over things which can be sensitive, but once we understand, we know why we are doing these things. Okay, so church government and admission of members. Question number 14. Um, all right, so now we move to question 15. So if one day we have to put you through all this, please do not be upset. Now actually, when that happened, the person who wanted to join our church, and I said no, and requested that the church give me a chance to talk to this person, I was not the pastor then, um, requested the church to give me a chance because I know the problem. If this person become a member, and if I become a pastor here one day, do you know who, who holds the, the hot pie, the hot ball? Me. So I said, give me a chance to talk to the person. I, I spoke with the person, explained the things that I explained to you all, expecting a blow up. But the person said this. The person said, you know when I wanted to apply for church membership, I wasn't sure. But after this, talk with you, I'm very sure that if one day I believe in premium and total abstinence, this church will definitely be the church I will join. I said, why do you say that? He said, because you take your beliefs, your constitution and your practices very seriously to protect the church. Such a church is the church that I want to be part of. Do you understand? All right, so people who understand, they understand. People who don't understand, there's nothing you can do. They can get very sensitive and scold you, what, you're racist, all sorts of things, right? But we still need to do the right thing. Now, next, question number 15. Now, what about church leaders from other churches joining BPCWA? What do you think so? Yong say yimas, church leader. Next time you talk to the church leader, not me. <laughs> church leader, why do you say yes? Even more so. Right? Even more so because as a church leader in another church, you will have subjected yourself to their church constitution, may be different from us, subjected to their church beliefs, different from us, or even taught their church beliefs which are different from us. Correct? So, the same. Those are very sensitive and difficult situations, but now, very often this will be the test of the person, correct? If the person declares to be a church leader and comes expecting. Actually, we had such a similar case before. This, this person has been coming to our church a long time ago, for a few times. I noticed him, talked to him. And then, in time, he told me, you know, I'm a seminary student. I said, wow. And then he said, oh, I've attended this seminary, I attended that seminary, and I'm currently a church elder in our church. Hmm? And then I guess I knew where I was going. And then he said, what does it take to become a church elder in your church? And I say, go through BBK. <laughs> right? I say, what well, seminary, you know, different seminaries serving as an elder in another church. What does it take for me to be an elder here? I say, attend BBK. It lasts about a year. I teach it. This man was older than me also, I think. I said, well, sit under a young man and I'm a church leader, current church elder, you know. Um, and he asked Yi Chung as well. Yi Chung said the same thing. Attend BBK. <laughs> 
So when the church understands and knows, we all say the same thing, right? We don't come and tell, hey, pastor, what's wrong with you? Uh, this man, church elder, such a nice man. We need elders. We need... You don't do that. Why? Why would you say attend BBK? Because you have understood the importance of protecting your own church, correct? You understand? You say the same thing. So, yeah, he kept hinting. Then, after I say go through BBK after a year, and then I said, oh, okay. I knew what he was thinking. What do you think he was thinking? All right, I can take one year. I said, oh, after that, then we'll still observe a person, you know, for maybe 10 years for an elder. Because even for a deacon, it takes three consecutive sessions. Being on session means nine years, right? Two, two, six years, two, six years, right? Half a decade. So it's still a long wait. Wow, then you can see his eyes like, next week, not coming anymore. So stop attending. There are people that are looking for that. There are church members who may not understand and may feel that, wow, you know, pastor thinks he's smarter than everybody. No, it is not. All right, so I hope you understand some of these things. Um, so I, I expected a church leader to understand better than, than, to, than to say that. All the more you shouldn't be a church leader. You agree? If someone thinks like that and becomes a church leader, it's disastrous for us. Now, next one. Um, items, a uh, question number 16. Question 16. Now, for example, Reverend Paul. Reverend Paul, we invited him to be on our board, correct? As our associate pastor, we invited him. The same. He said, Reverend Paul, here is our constitution. Please read it. Yeah. Do you accept everything? So he also have to take time to read. Hmm? Now, next one. In using the question number 16, in using the keys, how does the church officers determine whether to treat a person as a brother or an erring brother or treat or to treat practically as an unbeliever? All right? So in exercising, um, now these keys, ex the key exercising of the keys have a few aspects, right? I don't know how to draw. How to open a new page. All right. There are a few aspects. Now, one, as you see from point number two, is retain and remit sins. Retain and remit sins. Okay? Shut and open kingdom. Now, well, if you take it very um, simply, this is definitely about salvation. Well, this is salvation also, but there is something else about discipline, about discipline or censure. Does the church forgive you for a sin that you committed? Will the church retain it or, rem or say, yes, it's forgiven? That is one of the powers. Understand that? Okay? So, then you look at the question. Now, in using these powers, how do we determine if someone is forgiven, not forgiven, treated as a brother, means forgiven, erring brother? He is still, he is still a brother, a believer, but he, is, he, is, he has made, committed sins, made mistakes, still erring. Or have erred, either one, or unbeliever. 
Can the church even treat this treat someone who worshiped with us for many, many years, commit a sin that is worthy of censure? Alright? Commit a sin that is worthy of censure. Not just like I forgot to do, I forgot to do kitchen duty. Right? A sin that's worthy of censure. And how do we how do we decide? Can a church say hey, we treat him as unbeliever? Can? Do you think there's a, such a situation, Ben Khan? Unrepentant. How do you come to that, that law? Is it a law unto yourself? Matthew 18. Let's turn to Matthew 18. So all this is church government still. Huh? We haven't reached the church censure. Matthew chapter 18. Now there are instructions here given about a brother. Matthew 18. Now, shall we read um, verse 15 to 20 together? Moreover, 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 are you there? Matthew 18 verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, and go tell him his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or more, one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen and a publican. Oh, well, enough here. Oh, actually, 18 and 19 reading. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Verse 20, I've said many times, it's not about prayer, right? It's not to quote that God, two or three, please be present for prayer. This, quote, this verse 20 is a warning. It's not an invitation to God to be present when you pray with two or three people. It's a warning. Christ warned, as long as two or three agree, means two or three of you gather in my name, please don't lie, please don't, um, please repent, because I am present in your midst. I will judge. That's why in verse 18, whatever you bind on earth, it's the same back to the keys again. If you use the word of God and show to this brother, remember this power is a declarative power, and the brother in verse 16, in verse 15, they hear you, you gain your brother. Alright, so good. Look up here. He is your brother, forgiven. If he doesn't. Then you say, church leaders, elders, pastor, BOE, his brother, he committed this sin and he refused to admit sin, refused to repent. Okay, maybe he stole money from you. You confronted him, he repent, and he returned you the money. Or you say, no, I won't return, I didn't steal, even there's evidence, and so, yeah, I stole so what? And that kind of thing. This is a serious, serious crime, serious sin. Then he goes down to the next. The church, look at verse 17. Verse 16, sorry. You bring two or three. This brother is still an erring brother. 
still an erring brother. He is not a repentant brother. In verse 16, now for the erring brother, you bring two or three, uh, two or more, one or more, including you, there's three, one or more witnesses to this erring brother, and you talk to the person. If the person still will not repent, then, verse 17, he will not repent. Then tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Now he's serious. Now it will be announced. So and so. So the church, tell it to the church, not the church leader, tell it to the church, you know. So now it will be told to the church. Because the person still refused to repent, when the board meets him, still refused to repent, then now it must be declared. We will study later the steps. What does it mean? And what? Verse 17, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. What's a heathen? Unbeliever. Down here. Unbeliever. Even the person has worshipped with us for 10 years, 20 years. But if this person is like that, treated as an unbeliever. Heathen means not a Christian. Means not welcome in church. Now, this is not like an unbeliever who's seeking Christ. We are not saying unbelievers are not welcome here. All right? Please understand that. We're not saying that. But a person who has known, who has repeatedly refused to repent, then he said, we'll treat you like unbeliever. Later on, we'll cover excommunication. Treated as a heathen. Now, do you think this is very, very um, harsh? Do you think this is very harsh, Ruvina? What do you think? Is it very harsh? Well, treat as unbeliever. Do you really think a person is an unbeliever? You've known the person for 15 years, you know. Why would we say he's an unbeliever? Come on, pastor, you, you're a bit extreme. Why would you call him an unbeliever? Would you consider him an unbeliever? Or her, since you're a woman? Or him? Would you consider someone an unbeliever? Don't believe what? They say, I believe Jesus is God. <laughs> and I believe that we are saved by his work and salvation is by grace and that his blood washed away our sins. Mm, yes, then you go through all this and then the church says, this person is not a believer. Tell it to the church. Tell it to the church is a direct quote from Matthew 18. Eh? Tell it to the church. Would you? Douglas, would you call someone an unbeliever? Quite difficult, right? Everyone's smiling and scratching their head. Now look at this step. Look at the Bible. It is the person refuses and refuses and refuses and refuses and refuses to repent. What's the definition of an unbeliever? By and large, one of the definitions is he don't believe in sin, I don't want to repent. No matter what you say you believe in the gospel, this is not sin. I commit adultery, it's not sin. You tell me it's sin, you show me from the Bible, it's sin. Stealing is sin. Show and show, no, I, I don't believe, I don't want to repent, I don't believe it is sin. I don't be, even believe this. Can you say that the person is a believer? What would a believer do? A believer, if repeatedly, clearly, by witnesses present, witnesses who witness what he did, he can't run away and shown 
the true believer will do what? What would the true believer do? Uh, Kaziah, what would the true believer do? They will still at least say, oh, I'm wrong. I'll pray and I want to ask God to help me overcome this. Right? There's, there will be the Holy Spirit conviction of sin. These people's description is, there is no conviction. They just refuse to repent. That's it. A true believer will repent. Now, I'm not saying that, that a true believer is perfect and a true believer repents perfectly and a true believer will always repent perfectly. I'm not saying that. But a person who repeatedly shown, proven, and refused to admit and refused to repent, when scriptures are shown, then the church can declare them as, by definition, a heathen. A heathen. Right? Any questions about this? Alright, so the question is, does it have, is this about someone having a personal sin against you? Or, does it, or is it about um, some beliefs against the Bible? Is that correct? Some beliefs against the Bible. Now, it starts off here as a personal sin, right? Now, a, this personal sin can be a sin that is, is um, against the Bible's teaching. Then that's why it's sin, correct? So like stealing um, from you or um, um, beating you up until you're like, you know, half crippled, that kind of violence, that kind of thing. Um, or, or something, you know, worse, personal. So those, it, those situations, even if a person goes through that, the person will, be gone through, will go through this kind of declaration. But there are other parts of scriptures which we'll cover when we come to the discipline part for doctrinal, for example, where, where the Bible will quote, with such a brother who do, not have, who do not receive this doctrine, then don't even eat with him. So there are those in those cases as well. Okay, so the question is, so for example, someone who do not believe in pre-mail, but somehow the person ended up as a church member, and then he argued with Benedict. And Benedict kept showing him pre-mail, and he argued against uh, Benedict. Does this passage apply? Um, another passage apply, which is about vows you take. Actually, why should I give you the answer? You should. But I give you the answer already. Now, now when, when there's a disagreement because you took membership vow not to cause problems, right? So you can, two person can have quite strong views about it. But if the person does not stir problems in the church, huh? the person does not go from Benedict to Thomas to Ada to Mabel, doesn't go from one to another, then you, keep, you just talk, let's talk, all right? But once the person, because has taken vows not to disrupt, the church or to teach anything contrary to the church beliefs we took that vow then now he's breaking that then when he's breaking that then then the step that comes in again is well you took a vow not to disrupt and not to teach things contrary to the beliefs 
And now you're going around trying to convince members, worshippers, to believe in what you believe and you know that's against the church. Now we are warning you to stop. Right? Then it continues. Then now we are going to rebuke you. Then we go through the steps. Alright, Benedict? So, personal discussion about doctrines um, is different from now, in this case, the read Matthew 18 is, is a personal sin. means a person sinned against you. But now, if it is about doctrine, now the person starts to cause disruption in church, then he's sinning against the church. Okay? He begins to sin against the church. Um, so, it's, there, there are steps that has to be taken as well. Right? Say again? We, should we call them unbeliever? No, because um, this is a case of unrepentant of sin. There are some things like pre-meal, we never say that it is a sin not to believe in pre-meal. Right? We do not say that it's a sin to not believe in um, pre-trip. You can believe in mid-trip, mid-tribulation, right? So those things, we do not say it's a sin. So, if, so it is not a sin. That, is it clearer now? Yeah, it's not a sin, all right. But but stealing from you—that's well, a sin, obviously. Correct. A lot of people are like the fingers in the mouth. Clear. Okay. Right. So the point is, um, does the Bible um, treat unrepentant sinners in the church very seriously? Yes, it does. Um, we have to know that because now so because this is the last thing that that is stated before we move to the church um, discipline part actually actually well the next question answers some of this ah now uh, question 17 how does 17 how is the exercise of these powers different from the roman catholic church do you understand what I'm saying? Because now we've been talking about the powers of the government in the church. One of the things that people can get very turned off and very wary is when a church talks about church powers and church government and who is considered saved and who is considered not safe. Saved, right? Why? Because people tend to think that's the Roman Catholic Church, isn't it? The Roman Catholic Church keeps saying, only if you're in the church, you're safe. If not, you're not saved. And then whatever we tell you, you have to believe. And we have the right to discipline you. That kind of thing. So people tend to associate this kind of ideas with Roman Catholic Church. But I hope by now you've seen that whatever I taught you is in the Bible. Obey them, they have rule over you. The Bible talks about authority. The Bible talks about um, um, the elders ruling and all that. All right? So... The Bible talks about the government in the church. Now, the Bible talks about discipline. Now, how is it different from the Roman Catholic Church? What do you think? Who's from a Roman Catholic Church? Who was from a Roman Catholic Church? No one. Um, uh, Adrian, what do you think? What is it, how is it different? What we've been teaching, how is it different from the Roman Catholic Church? Yeah, right? They look at, they make up their own rules about who is not saved or who is saved. They make up their own rules. 
Remember we kept saying, how is it different? We always, we always say this, declarative and ministerial. It doesn't reside within the person in the sense he is the sole originator of what should be declared as, who should be declared as saved or not saved, or should be disciplined or not disciplined. That's the difference. This Sunday, I think I'll show some verses. I think I showed previously also. They declare anathema, accursed, cursed by God. They declare many curses on men simply because the church thinks that this belief should be believed, that you need to do good works in order to maintain your salvation. And if you don't believe in that, you are not saved. You are cursed by God. Only those that are not saved are cursed by God, all right, understand? So they declare themselves, that's different. Everything that we declare must be from the Word of God, from the revealed Word of God especially. Okay, so yes, that's the difference. So please do not think that when the church teaches this, you should shun the church. In fact, people avoid this, that's why church has a lot of problems. Now, someone wrote an article which I thought is very true. Someone did the research and said, church government rule and church discipline has always been a normal part of church, but only in the recent um, decades where it is, the church is no longer interested or the church, is not, the church is less concerned with taking care of the church and its members than they are interested in taking care of unbelievers and the poor and education. Do you understand? Because of the gearing towards social gospel. The church focus is social gospel. Go out and build schools. Go out and educate people. Go out and fight for equality. Go out and help people who are drunk. Go out and do all this social work. To the point where church exists for that, it is not about the purity of the church. So they're more concerned about helping those than helping church itself, which I thought is very true. That is why it has happened. All right, so we must return to the biblical understanding then the church will be sound and safe. So next one. Um, now, what does the membership vow, 18, what does membership vow regarding all church decisions and direction as long as they're not unbiblical? Do you understand? As long as you take a vow that you will not disrupt the peace of the church, you will obey the authority of the church, it means that anything, as long as it is not Unbiblical means we say we will worship at 8 a.m. You don't go and fight and go and quarrel and go and go and cause disruption. It's not sinful to worship at 8 a.m. All right, so then you obey. Now, but, but whenever it comes to this, sometimes people get worried. Now, what if the church expectations, directions are unbiblical? What recourse do you have? Because so far we're talking about the church disciplining you, right? They say, wow, if the church wants me to support social gospel, then if I say no, and I keep saying no, wow, they want to exercise discipline on me, not supporting the church direction. 
Do you have a recourse? What recourse? Hannah, what do you think? Call, oh yeah, you attended attend Teens Q&A. That's why you do. Do you have a recourse? The Constitution is, is very um, careful to protect the church, right? Not to protect individuals. It's always there to protect the church. Now the church constitution allows for members to call for an extraordinary, um, extraordinary congregational meeting. Right? You must give um, sufficient time um, to inform the session. There must be sufficient number of people that agree with you to have an extraordinary congregational meeting. And the church session cannot not convene that meeting if the quorum is, is arrived at and if um, there are sufficient number of people, signatures, um, that require that. Did you, did you know that? All right. So, yeah. So, so based on that, if, for example, over time, BPCWA, um, Goes, goes rogue and, and sets unbiblical directions. You can call for ECM and the church have to respond and that's where you discuss. Now, if after ECM, the church say either you support or, and then you lose, all right? Either you support the charismatic movement or you, or you don't. Uh, or, or we, will, we will consider you as someone that's causing disruption in the church. Now, this is our direction now. What recourse do you have? Whoever asked. Grace, what recourse do you have? You attend a church where, wow, the, the teachings have gone wrong, they want to support the charismatic movement, and then you call for ECM, few people in church, yeah, this ECM thing in church is, is wrong. Then the ACM, ECM, most of the church want it. Then you lose. What are you going to do? You leave the church. You're not going to, like, on Sunday come in and take all the drums or the guitar out and during BZB throw them away. Yeah. We took a vow not to disrupt the church, correct? So, if that is the case, then, then you have to still keep that vow and basically resign from the church. You still resign, you resign from the church. That, that's what um, you would do. Right? That's in fact what I had to do. Yes. If if you if you choose to leave and then, should you go around to ask some other like-minded brethren to leave with you? Understand? You say, ah, loose. Ah, this, oh, this is CMO. This is bad. This is wrong. So I decide to leave. All right? So is it wrong to go around and ask? What do you think? Edda, what do you think? Is it wrong? You don't get the question. 
you lost the battle and the church still say we will do we will continue with ccm we support the charismatic movement we'll speak in tongues in private and then you call for ecm and the church still move in that direction most of the members want it you lost so the next thing you can do is not to come out and throw away all the equipment not during worship you know start to go around and stop people from speaking in tongues right you can't do that you disrupt everything so you leave then when you leave you say let me call rowena call sing yuan call nancy call you know call this and since i think they don't agree with that also i go around calling them ask them to leave with me is it wrong it still be disrupting it will still be disrupting the people must make their own choice the people must make their own choice all right well you can post on your facebook <laughs> your beliefs and say you know this these are the beliefs that i hold to and why you don't have to say anything people read they make their decision right so like um, when i left my church because of some some of the issues um, i don't go around and start in fact i was a, i was a um, sunday school teacher then i don't go around and say let class next week you all go with me you know it's wrong um, but you teach what you can and their conscience they have to respond themselves right otherwise it's still wrong okay so um, where are we? all right so the church government um, I'm not encouraging you to do ECM. Huh? <laughs> if there is also a request, if you come up with ECM and it's, it's disruptive and it's wrong, you can end up with a public church discipline immediately. You understand? So this is not to encourage people to, 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 to just call ECM for nothing. Right? It's, yes. right is if they have the right view if so the question is is it still disruptive if they have the same convictions of the same mind is it disruptive for us to ask them to leave um, what do you think let me see who I haven't asked Eugene <laughs> You see, the question is this. If they're of the same mind, why are they staying? Because to some people, they say, yes, I'm of the same mind, but i, I rather tolerate this. My family is here. Hmm? So they have to make their own conscious decision. Because when you ask, you are disrupting. Yeah. In the church view, you are disrupting. 
Do we have a duty to tell? Yes. We have a duty to tell. But we don't have a duty to tell them, live with me. We have a duty to tell them what is wrong. And there are many means to do that. Yeah. All right? So to the church eyes, it's still disrupting in that sense. Now, um, question 19, last one. Now, does it mean that theologically trained people, does it mean that theologically trained people and ordained authorities are always right in their interpretation of doctrines, exercising judgment and rule? Well, the answer obviously is no, correct? Obviously it's no. Now, since they are not perfect, why should we accept their authority and discipline? Why? Why do you think we should still accept it? Um, Mabel, why? Yeah, I still many times. Huh? Hey, Shalin, Shalin, why? Um, okay, because they're put in that position and they have more training and understanding than us. But in this case, they're theologically trained, they're put in that position, but, they are, but their interpretation of doctrines may not be always right. Well, actually, the, the short and long, uh, what I'm trying to ask, maybe it's not very precise, what I'm trying to ask, they're imperfect. They're imperfect. Do you think there are no pastors who, at this point, interpret something? I've heard pastors who say, it is okay to lie in certain situations. Right? And then, over a short period, the person realized it's wrong, and then stopped, and said, that's wrong. It's wrong to lie in any situation. Sometimes pastors can interpret things wrongly, and then they repent, they change, right? They are not perfect. My point is they are not perfect. Pastors must do their best to be as accurate as possible. But sometimes some things may be, um, the interpretation may not be correct at a certain point. But we can't accept things like Jesus is not God. Uh, that kind of thing are obviously wrong. Um, exercising judgment, can board of elder make wrong decisions? Can. Right? So if they're not perfect, why should we accept their authority and discipline? Now, even if they make some wrong decisions in some things in church, even if they made some wrong interpretations of scriptures in the past, you cannot look at the person and say, well, you've interpreted scriptures wrongly before. You made that decision and church, church end up in this trouble, and that was the wrong decision. Why should we listen to you? You cannot. As long as at that point when they exercise that correction to you, that censure, when they exercise that correction and you know that correction from scriptures is correct, the, the, the board is correct, you are wrong, you must still submit. You must submit. All right? So, now, why do we need to emphasize this? I ask you this question. Why? In fact, this question is something that is, is always um, a heavy burden on my heart as a pastor. Very heavy. Why do you think it's important that we understand that? Why do you think so? Nancy, why do you think so? Why must we make sure that the congregation, you, understand there is no perfect pastor, no perfect decisions that the board make. There can be, and they can make some wrong decisions. All right? 
But as long as the particular teaching given to you to correct you, whether from the pulpit or personal teaching or personal counseling, once that teaching is from scripture, that admonition is from scripture, you must obey. Why is that so important? And not keep thinking, ah, oh, but you were wrong last time. You also made this mistake. Why must I listen to you? You're not perfect. Why is it so important to understand that? Because ultimately, it is still God's word. Remember, remember it goes back to declarative, right? These powers are declarative. As long as the minister is de declaring at that point, the, the word that is correct in admonition to you is declarative. Why I worry about this? Because over time, I've seen in many churches, again and again, new pastor, everyone very excited. People say new broom sweeps clean. Eh? Everyone very excited. Everything, yes, yes, yes. Then as along the way, people know the pastor more. Then knows, know the pastor's weaknesses. You, you know pastors have weaknesses, right? <laughs> They're not perfect. Then they begin to know him. You know, familiarity breeds contempt. Then after some time, they're not interested in his teaching anymore. I notice I say, in his teaching. Then they love to listen to another church pastor. Or when the church pastor comes, another church pastor comes, he's like God to them. How, how they treated him was how they treated this pastor that just came a long time ago. Understand? Over time, we began, we begin to take admonition. Remember this about church censure. We begin to take censuring from the pulpit, admonition from the pulpit, correction from the pulpit, or personal counseling at home. We began to link that with him as a fallible person. But some other pastor come, we don't know him. Oh, this pastor is so good, so good, so good, right? Everything he says is good. That even if the pastor, the home pastor says he's decorative, not interested. Come, don't listen. Ah, he's made, made those mistakes before. Ah, he's a very uh, whatever. It happens. It happens very often. That's why sometimes when people come to our church, they say, wow, this church is so good. Wow, wow. In my mind, I, I always depend. How long will you say that? How long? Hmm? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, sometimes I go to other churches for church camp. Um, I feel it very strongly. And I feel very sad for the pastor there. People will gather around me like, like, like I'm an angel from heaven, like, I've, like I'm always perfect, have so many questions to ask me. And everything I say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I went for the anniversary lunch, um, the Pandan anniversary lunch, right? There are people who walk up to me who do not mean, oh, Pastor, I want to ask you this. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, queuing up. And then I look at the pastor and I feel very sorry. Um, because that is how we are. I'm very sure when they know me long enough, ah, this one, so fierce all the time. His face like that, you know. Not understanding. I'm sure they're going to feel the same way about me. Hmm? So, the reason why I cover this is, don't let your learning of God's word. It's declarative ministerial. When it's admonished to you, please know church discipline is not grab hold of you and scold you face to face. Church discipline is admonition from the pulpit also. Take it as 
from God. Separate the weakness of the man. It is not an excuse for pastors to be weak and to get away with things. All right? But this is so common. All right? So this is the last thing I want to cover because after this we'll move into the exact thing about church discipline. Now we're just covering the government and the church that will exercise church discipline. All right? Let us pray.